a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 139 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to succeed in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country at every level. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. I'm coming to you from the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in the spare bedroom office of our basement townhome in Burnsville, Minnesota. And I had a moment this last week. It was nice. I was driving to Rochester, Minnesota. It's about an hour and 20 minutes from where I live uh, to call a section championship hockey game between two major rivals, uh, with everything on the line, the winner goes to state. It was Lakeville North versus Lakeville South. It's a crosstown rivalry, and it was a really, really big game. On the way to that game, the route took me past uh, the Black Stallion Bar and Grill, which is a restaurant on the edge of the Twin Cities Metro that has been closed for some time. It's boarded up. Its parking lot has been taken over by somebody selling pre-built garden sheds, or, or at least storing them, if not selling them. I've never actually been inside this restaurant because, as I mentioned, it's been closed for years, uh, at a minimum. But it is important to my story here in the Twin Cities, and this is why. When I was at my last radio job... And it wasn't going well. I was really starting to question my future with this station. But at this point, had still hoped that I could turn things around. One of our long-term sales reps was retiring. And I went to our manager, and I had basically had to try to build a list from scratch in a very difficult area for a lot of reasons. And I asked my manager if I could get a couple of the accounts from this in retiring rep. Uh, he was very successful. It would not hurt the next person who came in very much because it was such a big list, but it really would have been huge for me. My manager said no, but that he would find me a list of leads with new accounts to call on and that that would be the alternative. I got the list and the very first business on that list was the Black Stallion Bar and Grill. I got really fired up I decided I was going to drive there and do the introduction in person. Uh, I didn't call in advance, which in hindsight I probably should have because when I got there, what I just said was already the case. This was a restaurant that had been closed for some time, and I was just absolutely disheartened by that. Uh, I then went and called all the other businesses on the list that my manager have had given me before I went to them, and four of the ten businesses were all permanently closed. For me, that was the final nudge that I needed to make the decision to go into business on my own, to get out of traditional radio, and to take the path that I'm on now where I work directly with high schools, I call a ton of games, and I'm able to be my own boss, control my own destiny, all that fun stuff. But I look back on it, and if my manager had just given me some of the accounts from the retiring rep, probably would have never happened. So with all that in mind, we fast forward to last week's hockey game. And not only did I have a good broadcast, but we ended up setting a new record with over 3,400 unique devices watching our streaming high school hockey game. We had about the maximum amount of sponsors that we could fit in the game. I couldn't help but thinking about it on the drive home when we passed this place again. 
how much of a better place I'm in right now than I was at that time, which would have been now a little over three years ago. And I say this because there have been a ton of people in broadcasting, especially over the last two and a half years, who have had some very low moments, whether that was because of COVID, industry disruption, consolidation, a loss of job just because this industry is crappy, or whether it's something personal that is just really difficult. To you, I say, just remember that if you keep pushing, bet on yourself, and just aren't afraid to take action, there are opportunities out there. I'm not saying you need to quit your job and start your own business. That's not for everybody. But just know that you don't have to settle for mediocre if you're putting in the effort and you have that outside-the-box thinking. You can come up with something, and I challenge anyone who's struggling to do just that. Ultimately, you need to bet on yourself, and that doesn't always pay off. Sometimes it can flirt with disaster or end up poorly. But at a certain point, you have to do it to find out if you can truly sink or swim in this business. And sometimes that takes a nudge. Speaking of betting on yourself, this week's guest is Ashley Chase. She's the voice of the St. Cloud Norseman of the NAHL. And it's not totally verified, but we think she's the first female lead voice of a junior hockey team in the United States. She's had to bet on herself numerous times in a long, grinding climb through the industry. And uh, me and Ashley have actually known each other for a long time. We were classmates at Morningside College, now Morningside University, all fancy and stuff, in Sioux City, Iowa. And so for the second consecutive episode, uh, there's going to be parts of this podcast that sound like two friends catching up who haven't talked in a while, and that's because that's what it is. But I think there's a ton of good stuff. Uh, she had to bounce around several different areas adjacent to play-by-play to eventually get an opportunity uh, years down the line to do what she's doing now. So a lot of bets on herself that did not bear fruit right away, but she stuck with it and is now having great success here in Minnesota. And without further ado, Ashley Chase, thanks for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. I'm excited to be here. I feel like we should start with the fact that people at Syracuse call themselves the Morningside of the Northeast. We both went to Morningside College, so a little bit of a connection there. And I guess I would just say, obviously, that's all just joking, but kind of. (laughs) What was your decision? I'm not kidding. (laughs) <laughs> what what led your decision, because you're initially, originally from Pennsylvania, uh, what led you to end up at Morningside College in Sioux City, Iowa? Well, I ended up in Sioux City for reasons entirely unrelated to sports, sports broadcasting, or going to Morningside College. I was originally doing music education at a different school in Pennsylvania, and Ended up doing something entirely different, which was why I moved to Sioux City. And when I got there, I uh, decided not to do that either. (laughs) And I, you know, it's funny, like athletes now get the transfer rule, but I tell like regular students, like, hey, it's okay to transfer also. (laughs) Find out what you want to do and do that. And don't let transferring schools hold you back. But (laughs) long story short, I ended up in a weird radio job that ended up going from, hey, turn these cassette tapes into digital files uh, to, hey, will you host this afternoon drive time music show to, hey, I might be okay at this. I should go back to college. Um, So that's how I ended up uh, at Morningside. I had been playing in the band at Morningside um, just on the side because they needed more people. When I I found out that they had a student run radio station and then I was going to get the opportunity to learn how to do that for real (laughs) other than just host whatever I had been doing. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. So it ended up being the right combination of things and, um, you know, kind of hopped right in at Morningside. And the advantage of going to a small school, obviously, that you can get on the air, you can do a lot of stuff really early. Uh, what was your first Mustang sports coverage experience? Because I had transferred in, I came in with 
two plus years of classes already in the books. So really, once I started at Morningside, I was only there to get my mass communications degree. And I wanted to do as much radio as possible. But the first class I came into that I really felt like, all right, we're doing this, <laughs> was my audio production class. And you know, our great professor, uh, Dr. Mark Heistad, um, he was teaching that class. And in the middle of class was like, all right, which one of you is the one that works at the radio station? I'm like, yeah, that's me. He was like, great. You're going to show everyone how to make this promo today. So I was the guinea pig of class that day. And at the end, he pulled me aside. He's like, listen, you have a really great voice. Have you ever thought about doing sports? And that honestly is where everything clicked like in my life. <laughs> he just kind of put me in a situation that coming Saturday it was like, hey, cool, you're going to do sideline for football on Saturday. So that was my first showing up doing sports at Morningside experience was him just putting me in that situation. Um, it wasn't that I had never thought about it before, but I had never thought about how to make that happen. There weren't women doing this. And if there were, I wasn't seeing them on, you know, the four channels I got in television in my home growing up. So um, as much as I knew was like that, you know, Robin Roberts did some basketball analysis on occasion and that Summer Sanders would talk about the Olympics when she was no longer in them. That was my limited knowledge of women doing uh, any real form of sports broadcasting. So uh, for me, it was pretty cool to be able to have someone be like, hey, you should do this. And me go, oh, I guess I could. <laughs> so that was kind of how that all started. Yeah. In hindsight, a lot of that, because my story with Dr. Heistead is actually pretty similar in that I was on the basketball team. He goes, you want to just do some color? And I'm like, yeah, I can go to the games for free that way. Uh, and uh, that's how it was. And I look back and I think a lot of it was just that he just needed warm bodies out of class to do it. And it would have let just about anyone. But I like to say that he saw something in me, even though that probably wasn't true. I don't know. I really think he did because as much as like, yes, they would he really would put anybody in any situation and be like, yep, you're going to do that. Go ahead and try. <laughs> You'd find out pretty quickly whether or not that was for you or not. And I just, I love that he wanted us to have those experiences. I think that's really what that all boiled down to. Yeah. He would like to fill some spots, but you know, if, if that wasn't for you, I think he'd rather see you move on to something else that fit you better. <laughs> so. So going from that point and getting your start, uh, when did you know that this was going to be kind of your passion and the thing that you were going to pursue as a career? Was it immediate or was it something that grew over a little bit of time? I think wanting to do it, believing that I could do it, and then believing I would get the opportunity to do it were all different things. Um, I think that, you know, that moment where he was like, hey, did you ever think about doing sports <laughs> was really... <laughs> my life starting to make a little bit more sense. Uh, but then actually trying it and figuring out like, Hey, I'm good at this. And I could, I could do this. Are there jobs for this? Do people get paid full time to do this? Um, which the answer is still pretty much no. Uh, <laughs> as you all know, you kind of have to make your own situation sometimes. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I wanted that immediately. I, fell into a great, you know, internship um, with Curtis Anderson, who was really as much my mentor as Dr. Heistead, just coming from different directions. Um, I think the two of them have entirely molded who and who and when I am as a broadcaster, journalist, um, you name it. You know, I think I really, from the two of them, had the belief that I could do this and be good at it and pursue it. Um, it just the opportunities never came to be doing it as a play-by-play -play broadcaster full-time. That was all I, all I was applying for my last semester at Morningside. Uh, I was looking for radio jobs anywhere that would include some play-by-play. -play. I was happy to host a local sports show. That's one of the things um, that I did throughout my two years in college there um, was help host local sports. And I really enjoyed that. I liked the the good back and forth. I hate screaming sports talk radio. I have no interest in hearing two people just yell at each other for a while. Um, debate is great. Conversation is great. Even excited conversation is great, but like, don't scream at me. So um, it's a good play-by-play -play policy also. I, I just, I, I think that, you know, looking for those opportunities and realizing they weren't happening right away um, ended up 
in television um, and ended up there for about six years. Uh, I didn't know if I'd be able to break free from that to do what I wanted to do play-by-play wise. And I thought, well, maybe the play-by-play opportunity will come on television by just being somewhere where they did that. So I, I thought if I just stuck with TV and kept doing that well, uh, anchoring and doing features and telling stories that eventually I'd find myself in a place where maybe play-by-play was a thing. One of the local stations I was at had um, was about to start doing uh, high school football game of the week, full play-by-play on like their, you know, point two channel or their, you know, their off, off the main station channel um, on Friday nights. So I thought that would be a pretty cool opportunity, but then I ended up, you know, that, that came after my contract there was done. So it just never quite lined up for me to do that. Ended up leaving television, getting a job doing, you know, SID work um, at Robert Morris University. And we didn't have road radio for anything. And actually our hockey coach, you know, he knew I was interested in that. And I said, Hey, you know, would it be okay if I came on the road a couple of times and just did road broadcasts on like some free app that we could share and that way it wasn't going to cost the school anything and it wouldn't be, you know, a conflict with the radio station who had our home games. And so we did, I think I did six games total that year. I was like, okay, you know, I know I didn't do an amazing job, but in six games, I think I learned that I can do this and I want to do this and I want to be good at it. Ended up not working with the team after about three years of doing that and had a slightly more nine to five type job doing PR and marketing at the same school Uh, which opened up my evenings and weekends to do all the sports I could handle. Uh, And that's really what opened the door for me to get that extra shot at doing play-by-play. Did stuff for a local high school sports network doing play-by-play. The door opened to do any sport from football, basketball, baseball, softball, hockey. Uh, Loved all of it. And I think I probably enjoyed basketball, baseball, softball, hockey the most. You know, hope that I would have the chance to you know, once again, pursue a job where that could be the job. Not until I could do play-by-play on a regular basis did I ever think, okay, I can do play-by-play on a regular basis and this could be my job and my career. I'm a big make-it-happen kind of person and there's only, you know, so much you can do unless you're doing the job. And I think that's where I always kind of wrestled in my head over the years, like, hey, I'm not doing TV because I love to be on TV. Like, I would rather be in sweatpants talking about sports any day of the week, but no one pays anyone to do that. So uh, <laughs> I think play-by-play is a great, uh, was that great option for me. I love doing it in college. And once I got the opportunity to do that again, consistently, then it kind of hit for me, like, yeah, this is right. This feels like home. This feels like where I'm supposed to be. Do you think that obviously you had a college reel, which most of our college reels, we think they're good, but ultimately they're really not. <laughs> do you think that, the reason you weren't getting opportunities was because you're a woman or do you think it was because your reel wasn't very good or what, what, what do you attribute that to? I honestly have no idea. I think a lot of times people who hire even for like minuscule amounts of money that they feel like they could pay somebody who just graduated from college. I think even those jobs, they're like, Oh, but what about your experience? (laughs) I don't know what I possibly could have had leaving college that I didn't have leaving college. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was terrible, but I don't think that that was the case. I mean, I think I had done somewhere in the range of like 200 games in two years between the college and working for the local Fox sports radio affiliate and doing high school games there. And I just, there's not, there wasn't a radio experience at that point that I didn't have. I'd done play by play color hosted local sports talk, produced those shows I mean, I could have walked into any radio station in the country and been their solo sports person and probably tackled some news while I was there Um, because journalism is just a big interest for me and not enough people do it well or responsibly. So I really enjoy (laughs) that part of that part of things. And I think a a local radio station anywhere would have been probably thrilled with that, my work ethic. So I honestly don't know what it was right away that didn't open those doors. So I graduated from Morningside in 2009. I should have been like an 07 college grad based on how old I was when I graduated high school. Um, But that is the one downside to transferring a lot is that you just don't. (laughs) Ending up on time, so to speak, is not a thing that happens. Like that was an interesting time technology wise because you didn't know who was taking 
your reel in what way? You know, was somebody going to listen to a CD? Were you going to send them a flash drive? Were you emailing them a link? Were you emailing them a file? Like, I didn't even know if people were getting my stuff. I just think that was such like a technology abyss where you have no idea who you're applying to and what they're doing. I mean, my first job in radio was literally taking cassette tape recordings and turning them into MP3s because nobody knew how to do that. And that was only two years prior to graduating from college. So I, you know, I, they were pretty behind <laughs> at that station. But when you're applying for these first jobs out of school that are in, you know, Timbuktu, like you just don't know what their technology is, how they're even listening to things. I don't know. So I think that was a big drawback of that particular time to have the social media and technological tools available that people do right now on top of the fact that I think it's just a more accessible career for people than it's ever been before, I think is maybe why in more recent times there would be any sort of difficulty this past summer. And now having, you know, the experience of doing play by play a little more consistently for the last three years, you know, I felt decent about my tape, but I probably felt better about what I had in college than what I did starting to apply this last summer. I I know I was better now, but I was definitely more consistent then. So going through my stuff, particularly having most of 2020 off or coming in bits and pieces, uh, missing an entire baseball and softball season, I felt like I was really far behind and and really out of sync. Um, So I really didn't feel like I had as much stuff to choose from this last year when I tried to put a tape together as maybe in the past. So um, it was definitely digging around, trying to find good things I could use for a reel now. And like I said, I sort of diverted there and was in television for a little while. And your reel is a whole different thing there than it is in, in you know, radio, especially for play-by-play. So, um, yeah, I don't know what it was that first time through, but this past summer with what I felt like was, if people followed up and wanted more tape this summer, I don't know what I would have done. Because <laughs> I felt like probably like the best of the best was what was there on my reel. And I had a couple good you know, five and 10 minute segments to share with people. But I think this past summer, I felt good about what I had, but I knew that that's what I had. (laughs) So I think this summer is the best response I've gotten at any point in my career and understanding that I'm 36. And when I was applying for those other jobs in 2009, I was 23 turning 24. You know, it, it does take that amount of time, depending what you're doing and how consistently you're doing it to build a good reel and and good network of people. I think I've always had good networking skills and I think I've known a lot of people for a lot of time um, and always to try to connect people with jobs, even if I wasn't going for them, just because I think that's important just to stay fresh and connected. Like I love what you're doing with this podcast because you know, you're, you're doing that for yourself, but it's also growing that for other people. It's connecting other people. And I think that's really awesome, but I, I, I don't know what, what the difference is in, you know, and, and across those years, but I, I will tell people like, you know, the more you can do something, the more consistent you can be with anything, the better you're going to be at it. And to pursue those reels and those opportunities that, that way, you know, don't be afraid to mix it up. Your reels never perfect. I, I don't know what I had in college compared to now, but I, I definitely, definitely struggled that first year to get anybody to get back to me about anything. I mean, I wasn't getting no's. I just wasn't getting anything, and, you know, in this summer, you know, at certain points I had the opportunity to kind of pick and choose. And then you'd go through waves of things where you talk to a team for a long time, think you're going there and then it doesn't happen and you have to change courses entirely. And, you know, the, the Craigslist searches that play-by-play broadcasters much have on their phones are just (laughs) probably really wildly interesting, safe places. But, you know, I think the best tape I had when I was putting my reel together this past summer was baseball. I certainly wanted either baseball or hockey to be the way I went. I have probably a much richer background with hockey and it's where I feel at home, but I absolutely love calling baseball games and softball games. So, um, you know, I had definitely more fresh tape of that. I hadn't done hockey in two years when I took this job. And that's a lesson for people too, is like, don't, don't let that stop you if that's what you want to do. You know, I didn't have great tape to draw from, but I dug back and got what I had and said, Hey, listen, this is what's available. If you want to hear me do a game, let's watch a game. But here's what I have. And here's longer chunks of me doing other sports. That's just more recent and, and more what I can do. So um, I think just being flexible with all of that certainly helps. Don't know if that answers your initial question or not, but I think, you know, I, I really, I wish I knew, I wish I knew what reasons people had for 
not calling back. You know, I will say one of my TV jobs, um, at a news director, you know, when, when I ended up on his desk, I was like the third crop of, of, you know, deliveries that came in. Cause I was mailing DVDs at that time. So this is probably 2011. He's like, yeah, this is the third, this is a third batch of, you know, applications that have dropped on my desk. And he had mine on a Monday morning of a job he posted Thursday night. And that's how quickly everything got to him. So that was the third day of deliveries. And he basically would start at the top of a pile, get through till he pulled two or three out that he liked. And he'd set the pile aside and watch the, you know, of those he'd contact people, have conversations. If they were still worth talking to, they'd go in the, in the save pile. The next day he'd do the same thing. And then at the end of it was, okay, here are the people I, I want, you know, our sports director to talk to, or, you know, I want to maybe bring in for an interview or, you know, like the technology now to be able to do face-to-face interviews remotely. You know, that was not a thing a decade ago. Um, How did you get good at TV initially? You know, we had talked about how you kind of went through college with, the idea of, and I don't want to talk that much more about college, but um, we went through that with the idea of being play-by-play. Your path took you into TV, which is something that I know Morningside College had. Uh, MCTV was just kind of starting when we were there. So maybe you had a little bit more than I did, but there wasn't much. Uh, how did you learn on-camera presence and TV skills, and how did they maybe – make you a better play-by-play announcer? Well, uh, it certainly took me out of my comfort zone. As I said, I would prefer to be in, I mean, who wouldn't at this point, like 2022 and we're still, you know, there's still a lot of work from home happening. So I think we all know we would rather do our work in sweatpants and we can just admit that. But (laughs) I really was not interested in getting dressed up and putting on makeup and being on TV and having people look at me. Um, I've also never really cared about that. So it was an odd Pairing for me, um, I was not a, like a let's do our makeup and hair person. Um, that's, I mean, seriously, the first day I had to be on the air, I had to have two reporters like help me become a human because <laughs> like I was like, I don't know how to do this. You're going to had to rely on every theater skill I learned in high school and maybe musical productions from college to put the appropriate amount of makeup on. But um, like, why do you look like the plant from the Little Shop of Horrors? Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, did your mommy let you play in her purse? Um, I mean, that's my mom's not a makeup person. I am not a makeup person. So um, that was a whole, whole different experience. But Curtis Anderson, who we mentioned, um, you know, that I entered with, he at the time was working for Fox Sports Radio through Clear Channel and uh, now has his whole own business, which is really awesome um, doing the same thing. But he uh, always really preached to me about just being confident and whatever you deliver is, is what people are, are getting. So, you know, if you're confident, they're going to be confident that you know what you're doing, know what you're saying, know what you're talking about. Uh, so, so present yourself that way, carry yourself that way. All through high school, I did a lot of public speaking and I was a musician and I performed and I did drama and all that kind of stuff. So I, I have been very much a performer in front of people in that way for a long time, but this was really doing play-by-play was really the first time I felt 100% outside my comfort zone. I mean, like I gave speeches about pesticides and soils and farming and all that kind of crap in high school. So like I was more into like the whole music and theater and like I was into that like vein of being in front of people and doing things. So to then move to sports where I had been like basically rejected my whole life (laughs) and then talk about it confidently in front of people who know about sports or they wouldn't be watching or listening was a little bit of a different place for me. So I didn't come like the natural path of like, Oh yeah, you're going to be a pro women's athlete or college women's athlete. And then you're going to become a broadcaster because you know something about it. Like that's the whole, you didn't play the game, whatever stick that I can't stand from, you know, most of the sports world. Cause you know, I've played it like, you know, a little league plus level of baseball and, can call a pretty darn good baseball game. And I've never played hockey. I can barely inch myself around the rink and skates and that's just fine. So 
but I, I definitely did not have that confidence when I was trying to do play by play. And that's one of the things I think Curtis always really would kind of throw in my face is like, stop, just don't, just be confident, say what you think, say what you know, and, and go with it because that's a big part of that. So I think when stepping over to television, I had to take that same kind of approach of not, reading some canned script I needed to write. I needed to write what made sense to me. I needed to deliver the the sports on TV in a way that made sense to me. And that's the same way with play-by-play. Like I love, you know, I grew up listening to Mike Lang do Penguins games and he's got all his crazy sayings and all these fun things. And that's, I love that so much, but it's also not me. I would sound ridiculous if I did things like that, because for me, I'm very straightforward. So I think it was just finding what my voice was and then leaning into that. I'm the sarcastic comment or the funny line in the mix of like telling you what's going on. I think sports are fun. I think they should be fun for people. Um, But I also, I, I lean as much into the role of, I'm the connection between where they are and where they probably would like to be and making sure they can see the clearest picture of that possible to me is more important. And I've always tried to lean into that side of things. They should be entertained. It should be fun, you know, but not every game is thrilling and not every game is like that. So I'm very much about, you know, trying to keep, keep that who I am and within myself. So I think that's sort of finding that in television was important for me just to be my personality and myself and not try to let's read the news and talk about the sports. Like I just, (laughs) I have no interest in whatever that is. So that was, that was a big thing. And then going to work at the the ABC station in Sioux city, uh, Tim Seaman was the sports director there at the time. He stuck a camera in my hands and was like, yep, this is how it works. So go shoot things. And I, (laughs) came back and he's like, nope, this is all bad. Let's try again. And uh, I mean, that's so important. And I, I tell people that now I said, anytime an intern, you know, an intern somewhere, or like I'm talking with someone who's, you know, new or just checking out the thing, this not going to work, but here's what does, you know? And, and I, I think that's important. I think it's important for people to be like, Hey, that's real bad. Let's do something else instead. Um, so, but because of that, I learned so much about like filming and, and how you wanted to, to set up shots and what you needed to get when you went to cover a story and how to ask more interesting questions. And I think the more I learned that stuff from Tim, um, I, I think I apply so much of that to what I'm doing in games now. I mean, I, you want an interesting story. You want to ask somebody questions, even when you're just sitting around and, you know, spitballing with, with people, you know, I've got hour long multi multi hour long bus rides uh, with, with our team when we're heading places and we don't talk much on those but you've got meals you've got time hanging around outside the locker room you're doing other things um, around around the team so I think you know for me those little anecdotes and finding out you know bits of information about people and then being able to weave that into their story not making it the entire story but being able to weave that into your games is is a cool approach and you know I think he really taught me about you know, active listening and what's going on, you know, when someone's answering your question, don't be thinking about the next question, really be listening to what they're saying. Um, and, and again, I think I can pull that into a lot of what I do as a, as a broadcaster, you know, when, when coaches speak, listen, or, you know, when, when players speak, listen, or, you know, something's going on in the game, you don't know what's going on. You can say that, pull an ear off and listen, you know, Hey, our officials are talking over here by the window I'm going to, I'm going to pull my, pull my ear off here and listen for a, a moment to see if we can figure out what's going on. You know, we've, you know, everyone has sat through some boring officials review, but wouldn't it be better to know what's going on? So I think little things like that are some of the things that I learned in, in that early part of TV um, of just trying to tell the best story possible um, by, by just paying attention letting other people give you those, those stories and, and prompting them and, so I, I think those were some of those initial things, you know, that just taught me about that. And and I think too, editing a good, you know, TV, you know, feature story, adding like Nat Nat sounds into those stories is a big thing in TV and like how you how you include sound in those stories. I always thought radio gave me a good ear for putting together a TV package because 
all that sound was really interesting and like weaving it together and making a TV story exist in a way that if you weren't looking at it, it would still be a good story and you would still get all those components. I really loved learning that from Tim. So I always thought coming from radio gave me that ear to do that in TV. So then, you know, in reverse, you become much better at it when you're doing it for TV because you're able to link it to some images, right? So in radio, you, or in in broadcasting, you, you need to provide that when it's not there. I mean, that's why, you know, crowd mics or just a well-placed mic somewhere on the field or, you know, in your playing surface can really add to a broadcast because it's bringing somebody else there um, where they can't be. I always have to be real careful with my crowd mic at our hockey arena for Lakeville North because (laughs) it is right above the top row of the spectators. And every now and then, if you get the wrong person sitting below you, um, maybe you get a little bit too much of their conversation. But I certainly agree with the value of the crowd mic. (laughs) Yeah, I do not have a crowd mic for um, our our game broadcasts. Um, I am (laughs) where I'm located is directly in front of one of the big speakers in the arena (laughs) and there is no crowd mic placed anywhere in the building. That's going to be more effective um, than just trying to keep my sound as clean as I can make it uh, with a giant speaker in front of me. So rather than add to that problem, I keep it fairly simple, but it would, it would be nice to add one in the future in a properly placed spot but i will say a hockey arena is probably one of the more challenging places to crowd my <laughs> for a variety of reasons language included one of the things i wanted your opinion on is so when i talk about women in sports casting there's kind of two ways that i can see maybe thinking about it or how it should or should not be handled and one would be just kind of ignoring the fact and realizing that, hey, you know what, you're a professional, we're going to normalize this, I'm not going to talk about it, but at the same time, there still aren't very many women, especially in play-by-play, so I don't know if we're at a point where that is doable yet. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts? Do you think it's something that needs to be talked about more, or is it something that, if we normalize it, that it will seem less novel, for lack of a better word? particularly one of the women who got a full-time play-by-play gig recently, I think said something to the effect of like, it'll be cool when all these firsts don't exist anymore. Um, But until then, like, let's keep celebrating them. And that's kind of where I come from sort of come to the conclusion. I think I'm the first woman doing junior hockey and in the U S as a full-time play-by-play voice. Like that's fun because that's a super like male saturated world, just period. You know, at that point in hockey, most everyone involved in the sport at coming up to that level, they've only really ever dealt with, you know, their own coaches or being in a prep school somewhere or whatever. It's a very, very male world. And so that's for me, that's kind of fun because I I think I have just been around great people along the way who have been open to me learning and listening and, you know, gathering whatever I could just by being around you know, around hockey and around junior hockey and college hockey. And um, I've had people that could care less what gender I was that saw that I was passionate about it and wanted to see me succeed and saw me work hard and want to do what they could to help me get where I wanted to go. So I, for me, I've never wanted to be some like, oh, well, we've got like the first woman doing this or doing that, or it's, you know, it's, it's awesome when it happens because that just means that it's happening more and it's more like, I I think I mentioned before, I think it's, it's a bit more accessible to more people to do, you know, sports broadcasting now, but there are still a lot of firsts. I mean, there are a lot of firsts for, for women. There are a lot of firsts for people of color. And I think the more we see it, you know, people think that maybe we get, you know, overrun by, you know, some PC idea that we got to hire somebody of color, hire some, you know, a woman to do something or, you know, hire somebody that looks different from, you know, the quote norm inside that sport. I I think doing all of those things are great when you have the right person for those jobs. So I think as long as people are being considered and then when they are hired, they go show people why they got that job. And I think that's super important. I mean, just getting, getting the job and getting into that role. Great. Celebrate it. That's going to get people's attention. But then what you do with that is 
as as important, if not more so, than just getting there in the first place. Um, so I'm, you know, excited for again that time down the road when they're, you know, when we're running out of firsts, um, and it's just much more normal to, to see that. I I've had very few moments where somebody's come up and been like, "Hey, you're Ashley. Like you're doing hockey. Like, you know, I'm not in that kind of." you know, level of things, but I had two little girls come up to me at a hockey game when I was on the road somewhere. And they're like, you're the girl that's doing hockey for the Norsemen. (laughs) I was like, you're 10. How do you even know that? Like, (laughs) and not, you know, I can't accept the fact that 10 year olds have iPhones. So, um, but, but like, (laughs) I, that was a really cool and sort of humbling experience that like somewhere in the middle of, you know, rural Midwest, there's, you know, some little girl that loves hockey enough that she doesn't live anywhere near our town, but knew that that happened and thought that was pretty cool and stood 20 feet from me and listened to a period of hockey just with her friend. And like that absolutely made my night and, and being able to see that and know that I would never have had that experience as a 10 year old. That's why I think it's still important to recognize when it happens and when there are more women doing things. Um, I think uh, one of the people is just absolutely crushing it um, in, in, in play-by-play is Kate Scott um, for the 76ers. She's been doing awesome things out in California and she did Pac-12 stuff for a long time. And um, I want to say she was at Cal, but I would, she'd be mad if I got that wrong. Uh, <laughs> but she, uh, she is um, just, just doing awesome things play-by-play wise and getting a ton of opportunities. And I love that she's a different voice in our sports world. And she's just such a positive person, but she's definitely one of those people that I've had just a couple of great conversations with. She's been an open ear for me. It was in an unemployed and frustrated summer where I just can I do this? Is this good enough? Like you're, you're doing this. You are absolutely doing the jobs. Is this going to work? Can I do this? Um, it's good to hear that sometimes, especially from people who you feel maybe look like you or, or look a little more like you. So I think it's, you know, I think that's important. And I think it's important for women to be public about doing these jobs because there are other people who are, are trying to figure out how to get where they want to go and you know, not seeing themselves represented somewhere along the way. So I, I do think that's important, but to each their own, you know, I, not everybody wants to be some person carrying a torch for a whole gender or, you know, a whole diverse group of people. Uh, some people just want to do the job and that's okay too. Um, so for, for me, I want to do the job because, you know, I, I like hockey. I like broadcasting. Um, this is fun for me. I think I'm pretty good at it and only getting better by doing more of this. So even listening to the first broadcast of the year to right now, I'm like horrified that that could have possibly been a few months ago, but at the same time, you know, I'm about to do game 40 on the year of just my team. And I've done probably between 15 and 20 more elsewhere, just because of opportunities that have come up being in Minnesota adds a little more hockey to your availability resume, but being able to to do that and see how much I could grow in six months makes me excited for other people to get those first opportunities and see, wow, when you're given a chance, how far people can go. I think that's, I think that's part of it. I think it's important for women to keep getting those opportunities. I think it's important. Like I love seeing Seattle's got Everett Fitzgerald's doing, you know, their play-by-play and JT Brown's on their broadcasts. And like, I love that we're seeing not only more diversity in the broadcast booth to, to see it in hockey, um, which has been such a predominantly white male sport for such a long time. Um, it's just exciting to me. I think it's just great to have, um, you know, more voices and more people represented. And Was it difficult at all when you're doing your interview with uh, St. Cloud, the Norseman? If, I mean, I, I didn't know you were actually the first woman in junior hockey full time. And I suppose that's probably hard to go out and really fact check uh, thoroughly because yeah. there's a lot of junior hockey teams that don't exist anymore. When you're going through the interview process, what was that like? Did that come up that it was such an outlier at that time? Yeah, or how we, did you convince about- someone to to just give you that chance when it had never happened before? I, I actually think our owner, uh, Chris Canavati, I think he was excited about that being an opportunity. And even in the interview process along the way, um, I'd been up for several other jobs throughout the summer. And it was 
easy to tell depending who I talked to. It was easy to tell who was like excited to be talking to a woman interested in the job and who was like, cool. So we're going to do this interview and then we're never going to speak. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I don't know if people don't realize how obvious they are, but it's, it, for me, it was easy through the process to know where I was going to be welcome and where was a place that was a red flag and I shouldn't work there. And there were a lot of really great places that I had conversations with this summer that I knew that even if I didn't get the job, that it wasn't anything to do with that. So I, I will say that because I think that I think that's important too. You know, sometimes you're just not the right person for the job and it doesn't matter if I'm a woman or purple or, <laughs> you know, when I interviewed, uh, you know, with our owner here in St. Cloud, he was excited about the opportunity to have what we think now is, you know, the first woman to do, you know, play by play in junior hockey in the U.S., but because he thought that was great, but also because I was a good fit to come here. Uh, you know, part of, you know, this job, you know, it was, it was listed and, and came to my inbox as, uh, you know, broadcast and media play-by-play job, you know, with a hockey team. But as we had conversations, learned that I had much more to my resume than that and that business side of things and operations and all of that was of interest to me. Um, and, and on on his side of things, they had a newer team that needed um, somebody who had a background in, in marketing and, and getting this team to be well-known in the area, being new to town and having gone through a whole rebrand during COVID. And I think I brought a little more to the table than just the initial role that was posted. So we created what exists here for me, which is that director of operations plus doing, you know, play-by-play and communications. So um, for me, I, I not only felt like I, I wasn't getting this job because of that, I was getting this job because was qualified and I brought a lot to the table and he was excited and I was excited. And, you know, that's, that's how the right job will feel. I I think it's, I think it's important to work at a place that, you know, isn't faking it when they hire you. You know, I mentioned the the fit, it's got to be right for everybody. And it can't be because you're a woman or, you know, because you're a person of color. I think it's, great when people get those opportunities they have to be able to do the job and in you know know within yourself what that job is i wasn't applying for an nhl play-by-play job because i'm not there yet so it doesn't matter if they want to hire a woman i wouldn't have been the right woman for that so i for me it's about being the right person at the right time but you know the right the right team the right organization you know the right outlet and that's what it was here in st cloud and i'm thrilled that this is where this this whole thing took me so I am friends with someone who is a woman who is adjacent to sports broadcasting and has been for a long time, but never has actually taken the plunge into it. And I asked her why once, and I thought her response was interesting in that she said, you know what, I thought about it. I think I have the talent. I didn't want to deal with the social media abuse and the the sexism from employers and all the kind of horror stories that go along with that. And I know we've kind of talked off the air about some of those that you've dealt with and or what made the upside better than the downside for you. And maybe what are the things that you've dealt with that you're comfortable sharing on a public podcast? For me, for one, leaving television was a good decision for my mental health and for the exact downsides that, you know, your, your friend has mentioned, there's a certain level of just social media trolling and nonsense and whatever it's, it's choosing how you want to interact with people. Do you want to interact with people? You know, how, how vocal you want to be that, you know, that all plays into it. I think dealing with some of that, you know, over time, it, it does wear on you. And, taking a break from all that, you know, I didn't leave TV with the intention of like, I'm going to leave TV and never come back. And, you know, that's just how life is going to go. The next opportunity presented itself and it was the right one for me. And I took it. So um, that that wasn't the intent, but it was absolutely the right thing. um, Just because I felt like I dealt with a lot at that point and was just ready for a break from that. The job was, was go, go, go. And um, you know, there weren't a, a lot of breaks and, it was just, you had to be on 24 seven and, you know, the job I'm in now is, is fairly similar to that, 
only in the in the timing regard because it you know during hockey season it is go 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 and it is not not fully 24 7 but it's a lot but it's in a totally different way i have not dealt with any form of pushback particularly on social media since i started this job and again i don't know if that's about the fit or the people but my experience here since i started in st cloud um with with the norseman hockey team I have not had trolls or criticisms or people attacking me on, on social media, on email, you know, in person, I have not run into that in this role. Now working for a team that's still not super well known in our area, but we're making progress there. It's not a role that's, I would say super public, like being a woman on the local TV sports channel would be. You're not as visible. You're not in, you know, you don't physically appear in everyone's home, you know, a few nights a week. And I think that's the big difference. So I, I think that's, that's part of it, part of that shift. And I think we have, you know, here we, I just, we have a really great culture and I don't, I just don't encounter that on a regular basis at all. I mean, and I really can't even name one time it's, I've encountered anything negative that way this year since, since taking this job even. I don't think I've had a negative reply on social to anything and even posting about taking the job. I thought, well, for sure, I'm going to get some you know, knucklehead in here and nope, not the case at all. Um, so if anything, I've, I felt better about the timing of this for me, you know, that changes, you know, if I were to be 10 years from now broadcasting with an NHL team, yeah, there's going to be somebody who doesn't want me in what they feel like is, you know, their precious, probably male space, but I, I don't, I don't care, <laughs> you know, and I, I think, you know, dealing with that, the, the everyday of, you know, responses from people. I mean, I, I think it probably taking a job like that would change how I function or maybe use social media. Uh, sometimes it's about making the choices to who has access to you and, and, you know, and who belongs, you know, in your everyday space. And that's just a part of it, unfortunately. I mean, women deal with that all the time. Um, but I, I've, I've, you know, definitely been been really blessed in that regard in the last six or eight months, whatever it's been now, uh, since I've been part of this hockey team. So um, I'm going to enjoy it while I can and uh, <laughs> hope that that continues always. But certainly understand why the more women don't take that step, you know, don't pursue that opportunity because they just don't want to deal and I have a ton of respect for that because you have to know yourself, you know, you have to know what's okay for you and your life. And um, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. If I were in that situation again, where I would be, you know, dealing with, with any of that, I'd have to decide, you know, what do I allow in my space? Um, what's okay and what's not and, and go from there. But I, th- I do think it's a personal decision for people. I, I have nothing but respect when somebody decides that they just can't, you know, work or operate in that space. I think it sucks that it's that way. I think everybody should be able to do the job they want without being prohibited by, you know, other people causing harm to, you know, to their well-being. But we don't live in a in a perfect world by any means. So I think that's I think that's tough because I'd love to see people who are passionate about the work and can do it well being in more of those spaces. I think having those different voices are super important. But I 100% understand why people don't want to do it. How do you define success in sportscasting personally? I think it's some of the things that I've sort of alluded to in some of these different topics, but I think it's just knowing where, where your fit and your feel is, you know, for me, I don't think I would even put myself where I'm at right now, you know, broadcasting yes, full time, but that's still probably only, you know, 5% of my job. I don't think I would go right now and say, you know, yes, I'm a you know, successful sports broadcaster because I'm always going to want more. And you can be successful and want more. That's probably part of it. I think being happy is, is part of that success for any given person. If you're miserable doing your job, you could be, you know, numbers successful without being feeling like that's part of, you know, life successful. So I do think that's part of it. Again, knowing that the fit is right, I think is a big part of being able to be successful. You can do a job well and not be successful per se, um, or find yourself in that, in that place. 
part of it is finding, is this job a fit for me? How can I get better at doing it? How can I continue to improve, you know, for myself that, that path includes, you know, listening to as many different voices as possible, listening to different people, you know, not only broadcast, you know, hockey, but other sports. What do I take away from a broadcast? You know, I spend a lot of time on a bus. So I'll pop a game on that, whether I know how it ends or not, I'll just listen to a game. Even if I'm sort of not even actively paying attention to it, things will come up that I'll hear. and I'll be like, oh, that was good. Like, how do I, you know, pull from that and make myself a little better? So I think, you know, I don't know if there's like a point where you reach and you're like, ah, oh, yes, successful now. Um, but I think part of it is just being willing to continue to grow, to know what that looks like for yourself, because it doesn't look the same for everyone. I think even, you know, a, a year or two from now, I could look back on this year and say, you know what, like you were successful and, and you did, you did broadcast well and, and you were, you know, taking big steps for yourself at the end of this year, you know, feel like I did have a successful season, even if it's not perfect or where I wanted it to be. So I think just measuring that, um, I think it changes job to job. I think it changes at different points in your career. It's more about retrospect than in the moment. That's for sure. So I think that's, that's part of it. I don't think there's any one measuring stick of like, yep, got here successful done. You know, I think for, for me, it's always making sure I'm better the next time I'm on the air than I was the last time I was on and keeping myself accountable. Did I do anything between those two times that is between last Saturday and this Friday, what did I do to get better? So I, I think just continuing to find those little ways to improve is a, is a big part of being successful. And then I, I think, you know, like I said, I think just recognizing that and what's important to you, you know, if you're, if you're happy, you're much more likely to think of yourself as, as successful, right. And, you know, you can be successful and be struggling through something and not enjoying it and still find that that's, you know, what's right for you. So I think it's, I think it's a very individualized, but, you know, I think it's about kind of hitting those, those goals or benchmarks or where you want to be. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll get done with a game and be like, wow, that was just awful. And somebody will reach out and be like, Hey, I listened to you tonight and really enjoyed it. And like, well, that's great. I'm glad you did. I felt like I sucked, but <laughs> you know, there are, so it's, it's just remembering, like, it's not necessarily about how you feel about any particular, any particular broadcast. I think it's more overall, you know, am I, am I doing the job? Am I doing it the best I can? And how am I getting better every time? Have you driven a Zamboni before? <laughs> I have not. That is like my bucket list. I want to drive a Zamboni and it's a very specific one. It's one in Shakopee, Minnesota where it is sponsored by the National Guard and it is wrapped up like a tank and has a turret <laughs> on it and everything. And I want to drive that Zamboni. But what is a broadcast horror story from your career? And when I say that, if you're not familiar, it doesn't mean something that was actually scary or terrible. Is something that was very, very inconvenient, maybe a terrible broadcast location or a day where everything just went wrong in a way that was mortifying at the time, but is funny to talk about now. I mean, I probably have more like little snippets of horror stories. I don't know if I have any one big one. Um, I remember sitting down. I wasn't even about to broadcast. I was helping other people get set up to cover one of my team's games and a mouse ran over my foot in the press box. That was pretty horrifying. Um I think I met the world's first pizza rat long before pizza rat was a thing um, in a, in a press box that was in an old horse barn that I had to climb up into. And um, I was like, Oh, empty pizza boxes from the last guy that was here. Great. And then they started walking. So there are the, you know, those moments I've definitely had games where you're just like, does none of the equipment work anymore? Did someone put a curse on it? Like everything's plugged in the way it needs to be. And it's just not coming on the air. I mean, I think if we didn't have games like that, we wouldn't know if we were any good at any of the other things. Um, just cause you've got to have one of those terrifying, frustrating nights every once in a while. I've definitely had with the current team, like we broadcast on hockey TV and they are putting, you know, the audio across to the video feed. And for us, that's all we're doing. So I'm just broadcasting into, you know, an encoder and they're dealing with it on the other end. So like the first couple of games here, 
we're, we're kind of scary in that regard because I'm like, I, there's no one, I'm not talking to anyone at the other end. I don't, am I on? I have no idea. I just turn up the volume and start talking. <laughs> and like, that was it. So I would have no idea if I was on or not, or if my audio was going through, I was mic checking. I'm sure that there were things said. I mean, it was that first, like trying to figure that out. I didn't know that. And I would say that was not anything life altering, but that was definitely an unpleasant way to start just not having the understanding of like, oh, there's not a person who's going to tell me when I can start or I just turn the volume up and go. That's when I'm on, Um, which is nice now, um, but scary then. I've definitely gone through games where I've gotten a call after two periods and they're like, hey, we're not getting your audio through. Could you call back and we'll try to figure it out? I'm like, why did that take you two, two periods of hockey is not 10 minutes. It is an hour and a half. Like, why are we now finding out that I wasn't on the air? I don't like those moments per se, because not only are you like wasting your time and I'm like, I can't get any of those goal calls back. You know, if you call somebody's first career goal and you weren't on the air, that's it. You don't get that moment back. You don't get to redo that. So I think that sort of reverse FOMO, something like I just, I really don't like missing those moments. So those are my horror stories of just things not being on the air. And one night doing TV, I, I was actually like physically moving that day from one town to the other. And like a big breaking story had a development and I had to run and jump on the air. And not only was I not wearing makeup, but my hair wasn't done because I was moving like in the snow in the winter and had to like just show up at the airport in like a station ball cap and in a giant oversized coat that I would have never worn on the air and report using like the last 10% of cell phone battery that, you know, I had to be able to Skype the story across. So that was, that was one of those days uh, I was dealing with somebody on the news side who didn't bring extra batteries and had a dead camera. And there are those kind of horror stories too. I've been almost locked in a couple of big 10 stadiums just because I was waiting to do my live shots or, record standups and you know everyone else is gone but your handful of tv people who have to do that um and i think another would just be yeah covering penn state football uh, i was at indiana and the media parking is like real talk at least a mile and a half <laughs> from like the door i'm like i am one human woman and i am carrying 200 pounds of camera gear and can't come near the door, drop it off, whatever. You just have to hoof it. So there are also moments like that where you're just like, cool, well, the equipment's bigger than me and weighs more than me, and I have way too far to go. How do we do this? And there's usually always some helpful other newspaper person who had to fly and doesn't have a car and can hop along in your news car uh, from the hotel. So usually you can bribe someone with a free ride to help you carry your gear. (laughs) But uh, those are those are probably some of the some of these small horrors. I don't really think I've had anything too crazy. I mean, we've all had those nights you just can't get on the air and it's frustrating. But because of going to a small school where they both had old equipment and new equipment, we both got to do a lot of different things that at the time was, I'm sure, a giant pain. But like now people will you know, crack jokes about, I'd be like, oh yeah, we're using a Marty. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> done that. Uh, like, you know, Hey, can I get a landline out of your building? Well, no, because it's 2022, but I can help you in these other 12 ways. <laughs> you know, I think we've all run into those things, but I don't think I have any, any true, true horrors that aren't, you know, other, you know, more personal type weird things that have happened. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. And the last thing I want you to do is I want you to rank your student radio station sports directors (laughs) from one to one. Well, I was the other one. Not while I was there. (laughs) Me and and Judd were were co-sports directors after your time. Well, I'm going to rank myself number one because it's my you were, podcast. You were, you were number one of all the sports directors that I did not share a job with. 
All right. Um, is there anything, I guess, how would someone listen to you or watch you on uh, the watch you do hockey for the Norse? Give yourself a little plug. Well, uh, we currently this season are exclusively on uh, hockey TV. Uh, so you do need a hockey TV subscription to view games. I think you can do either a game by game or maybe a monthly basis, uh, which would be super fun to pick up and maybe april or get a playoff pass our um our hockey team is uh number one in our division right now on a 10 game win streak headed into the weekend so we're uh we're in a good spot and and hopefully we'll continue into the postseason but hockey tv subscription is the is the way to check me out doing any of the st cloud norseman hockey games um we'll put highlights up on social media from time to time as well so uh, those are those are pretty much the ways to check me out and then i'm hoping that we can do some some audio streaming uh, next season, um, or even look into partnering with, you know, local radio as, as we continue to grow over the years. All right. Once again, we are visiting with Ashley Chase, the director of operations and play-by-play broadcaster for the St. Cloud Norseman. And Ashley, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of SayTheDamnScore.com. Also, please follow me on the social media outlet of your choice. The one that I'm most active on is Twitter, at Radio underscore Logan. I'm also available on Instagram, at SayTheDamnScore, but mostly just post pictures of me and my dog going on hikes at uh, local state parks. So if that's what you want to see, feel free to follow me. I also encourage everybody that if you want to leave a Apple podcast review, email, or any kind of honest feedback, it makes me feel good, and that should uh, mean something. Uh, so please do that. If you don't like it, please don't. That makes me feel bad. Keep it to yourself, <laughs> unless it's constructive and helps the show uh, certainly then in that case, let me know. Last but not least, please reach out to the guests of the show. Let them know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson. The next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.